Welcome to Talk the Talk. I'm Buzz Eisenberg. Bill Newman is uh, playing hooky today, but he will be back with us tomorrow, which is Wednesday. Um, boy, things are heating up. United States Supreme Court, which uh, arguably doesn't want to be in the middle of a sort of political uh, presidential run for office, nevertheless has to jump in head first. And it's whether it's a place it wanted to be at or not, that's where they're going to be, and here to talk about it is our expert extraordinaire attorney, John Pucci. So, John, there's a couple of big pending federal cases. Why don't you tell us about them? So I thought we could start talking about the immunity, what I'm going to call the immunity case, and, and just start kind of at the beginning of this, which is that um, Donald Trump, as everybody knows, was indicted in relation to his activities uh, on the January 6th insurrection, what's been called an insurrection. And that case was assigned to a judge named Chutkin in the federal district court in uh, Washington, D.C. And in that case, he made a motion to dismiss, claiming that he was uh, had immunity from a prosecution relating to any activities he engaged in including the insurrection, while he was actually president. And let me digress for a second and say just generally that there's nothing in civil statutes or the Constitution that actually explicitly grants the president any immunity for anything. So it's kind of made up as a matter of law exclusively by the courts. It's not a statute. It's not a regulation. It's not in the Constitution. Um, and it was first uh, recognized in a civil case in 1982 uh, called Nixon versus Fitzgerald. We don't need to go into that a lot, but it was created then for civil cases saying that presidents are immune while they're in office for activities while they engaged uh, in office for civil cases. And so Donald Trump has raised this and wants to extend immunity, which means protection altogether from any criminal prosecution relating to the insurrection, or for that matter, anything else that he did while he was president. This is an issue that's never been ruled on by the Supreme Court of the United States. It's not a statute, a constitution. It's a straight law issue, which this court, uh, ultimately, uh, the Supreme Court of the United States will have to review. Just just to be fair, John Pucci, there, there are well, we've all talked about qualified immunities for police officers. We've talked about, you know, district attorneys. You as a prosecutor enjoy certain immunities that um, uh, as long as your behavior is within the, the confines of law, that there are certain people who get immunities so that they can do their jobs without being interfered with by people claiming that they have a different opinion about how that job should look. That's, I think, Trump is just saying... As president, if anybody should get a complete immunity, it is the president of the United States. That's his position. Actually, I heard him say exactly that. Well, I'm glad you've been listening to him so closely, Buzz, and he's had such an influence on you. Yeah, yeah. It's an amazing thing, really, when I think about it. MAGA, MAGA, MAGA is what I wake up to. So the case is now in the uh, district court. It was assigned to Judge Chutkin. They assign cases off a wheel. Literally, it's a computer, but they assign them randomly. I think there's... 15 or 20 district court judges. 
trial judges in D.C., and she's been there a while, and she's a highly respected judge there. And she then, this this motion to dismiss the indictment landed in her lap as the trial judge, and she was required to rule on it. And she issued, uh, on December 1st of 2023, an extensive, very powerful, lengthy 64-page opinion dismissing uh, the motion to dismiss the case, denying the motion to dismiss the case on the claim of immunity. And she, she in, her, in that opinion, uh, ruled, in, and I quote, that the being president does not confer lifelong, uh, a lifelong get-out-of-jail-free pass card, and that former presidents do not enjoy any special conditions uh, for criminal acts they committed while in office. These Ray, the insurrection charges. So she dismissed, denied the motion to dismiss based on uh, a claim of immunity. And in the normal course, uh, that was appealed by Trump's lawyers. And it went to the Court of Appeals in the District of Columbia. And there's about 20 judges in that Court of I'm sorry, there's 11 judges in that Court of Appeals. Um, and it went before, in the normal course, to three judges uh, who set up a very, very, very fast schedule uh, for uh, deciding the issue of immunity. Now, part of the reason they did that is that Judge Chutkin had set the case down for trial in early March. So the Court of Appeals judges looked at that trial schedule. It's early March and decided, as they had to, that they needed to resolve the immunity case before the March trial. So the, these three judges jumped in, uh, a Judge Pan, Judge Childs, and Judge Henderson, and they they issued a, a, an order which required briefing super fast. Um, the Court of Appeals, the appeal was filed and docketed on December 7th. They ordered briefs uh, by Mar- uh, January 9th and set up argument um, uh, on that for that day for January 9th. So on January 9th, there was an argument before those three judges and it was published, it was uh, televised, by the way, it could be watched on MSNBC or CNN live. It was a fascinating argument. And it seemed crystal clear that at least two of the three judges, uh, Pan and Childs, were definitely gonna, on the side of denying the motion to dismiss on the claim of immunity, saying it doesn't exist for criminal acts during the presidency. There's an older judge uh, named Henderson, who was the third judge, and I say older, because she's even older than us, Buzz. She's 80 years old. She's been on the court for many, many decades. I've, I've been, actually, I've written for her in the past, yeah. You have written for her? Yes, we have written, uh, when I was representing people in Guantanamo, all the cases were in the D.C. court. I see. So they went to the, we just kept bouncing back and forth on various appeals. And, so you filed, you had and matters she was in on, front of her. Actually, yes, didn't okay. argue, but wrote for her. So she she uh, seemed to be a little bit softer on the motion, um, Trump's motion to dismiss was uh, more inclined, I think, to she leaned a little bit in his favor, but not overtly and not in a way that was dramatically at odds with the other two judges who were ready to just, I think, pounce and say, appeal denied, and, and then it would go to the Supreme Court. But in any event, wh- what's happened now is uh, a surprise, I think, to most observers of the process, which is the Court of Appeals, that three-judge panel, has not ruled. And um, um, the argument, as vigorous as it was on January 9th, has not led to an appeal. 
deci- decision by that panel. And the issue that it's now creating is that uh, the trial judge had to take the case off the docket. So the, the trial of the case is no longer on from March. It's put off indefinitely. That judge has to wait for the immunity decision to be decided in order to figure out if there's going to be a trial and when it could be scheduled for. So instead of a fast trial, which is what she wanted, and I think the public had an interest in, in March or maybe April, if it was extended a little bit, we're now in the Netherlands of not knowing when that three-judge panel will issue its opinion. Now, the three-judge panel can issue an opinion two to one, uh, and the two judges who um, are, are seem to be very clearly against granting immunity uh, to these for these claims, these criminal charges, um, they could issue an opinion two to one. But under the lo- the rules of that court, the senior judge, and that's Judge Henderson at age eighty, uh, has the right to write the majority opinion. So she can control the timing of the issuance of a majority opinion. It could be a three to nothing nothing decision, or it could be two to one. Uh, although it's unlikely she's going to be in the majority in in uh, in the two to one, uh, she's likely to be the holdout for Trump. So it's entirely unclear what's happened and why it's being delayed, and why the Court of Appeals uh, has not issued an opinion based on the f- the quick and fast and necessary timeline here. And it plays into, of course, the longer the long game that the Trump camp wants to play, which is delay at all costs. Uh, and try to buy yourself into uh, next year, the, the post-election process, uh, uh, Trump presidency. If he gets reelected, he has the authority to dismiss the charges against him, and that's their long game. And so every day that goes by that the panel does not issue its decision is a day in favor of that long game that the Trump camp is playing. Now, once the Court of Appeals makes its decision, and let's say it's three to nothing, denying the claim of immunity, or two to one. Uh, um, either way, the, the, the losing party has the right to ask for the court to consider it th- that, that three-judge panel decision on banc, on banc, E-N-B-A-N-C, on banc, for your listeners, means that uh, the, you file a motion in front of the appeals court, and if a majority of the 11 judges wants to hear on bonk argument as to whether the opinion is the opinion of the entire court, then a party that has sought on bonk argument gets it. And that's a whole other round of briefing. It's a whole other argument. It's a whole other set of delays. And so we're now building in beyond the district court, beyond the three-judge panel, a set of delays for the on bonk argument, and that ha- whatever that turns out to be goes to the Supreme Court. So if you look at this, if you if you you know if this were just a quote normal case following this extraordinary arcane step through, there's no way, shape, or form that it would be decided, you know, before November. Uh, so the Trump long game here um, has more than a shot at succeeding, uh, keeping the the trial off until after the election, and then possibly having it dismissed by Donald Trump, uh, who may dismiss a lot of cases. He may dismiss all the insurrection convictions 
uh, he may seek to pardon those people, effectively dismissing those cases. So he's, all, he's already referred to them as heroes and he's patriots. Told, he's said that he's yeah. going to do that. So putting aside that issue of pardoning other people who have been already convicted. Yeah, thank you for filling my brain with something that's hard to even ponder, but the fact that all of those, how many of them have already pled guilty out of the hundreds and hundreds who have been uh, indicted? Well, more than 700 have been convicted, and the majority of them have pled guilty. And they could be pardoned. They could be easily pardoned. Anybody can be pardoned. by a a sitting president, so that comes with a Trump presidency as well. So the long game here is starting to stack up for Trump in delaying the uh, immunity, the trial over the January 6th insurrection, Um, and that's where we are in that case. Well, there's another case that's a little bit more uh, sort of right in our face. It's going to be entertained by the Supreme Court of the United States, and that is what we're calling the ineligibility or disqualification case, and we're going to talk about that continuing our conversation with attorney John Pucci. I'm telling you, you're a teaching machine, John Pucci. We'll be right back. the talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are back with our crime and punishment segment with attorney John Pucci. Uh, and John, uh, before we took a break, I, I asked you about the disqualification case, the ineligible to run for president case. Could you tell us what's going on there? Well, uh, that case is going to, there's going to be an argument in the Supreme Court this Thursday. So that case is going to come to a conclusion. It won't be a decision on Thursday, but it'll be all of the proceedings that lead up to a Supreme Court argument and decision will be settled and the record will be square and they'll issue a decision sometime thereafter. Now, how long that takes, I don't know. Nobody knows. Uh, in, typically, it could take six months. Uh, it could take, or until June, I think, is, is, the, is the... Right, the end of June. Is the end of June, the end of the one session. might expect. But if it even goes to the end of June, that's a very long way into the campaign. And the Department of Justice has had a longstanding uh, uh, um, history and, and record and uh, been on the record as saying they do not bring criminal charges in the shadow of an, any election in America, uh, and so will, would they proceed with this prosecution in the, you know, way, you know, so close to an election would be very unusual in a, in a break with their tradition. But let's get to the root, root of this. Thursday, the Supreme Court in Washington, all nine of them will be sitting there listening to the issue of whether Donald Trump is disqualified, which could resolve the election in its entirety, and you could have a whole new 
process going forward without Donald Trump. So it's a momentous issue. It's never been decided. There's arguments from scholars on both sides. Um, it's not televised, by the way, but you can listen to the, uh, the, the argument will be live streamed on the court uh, website, and you can literally listen to the arguments from counsel on both sides, and we'll see what the court does. But it's, again, an issue which, on which there's no record of rulings that you can look to and say, well, it, this leans that way and this leans that way, and they're going to follow this path. It's entirely uncertain what they're going to do. Well, John Pucci, the Supreme Court decided to take this case quickly and rule on it. Why would they take this case but not take the the uh, case we were just talking about earlier, the uh, the uh, question of whether or not he was uh, his mu- he has immunity as president? Well, you'll have to ask Clarence Thomas and his uh, but what's, team. But what's your guess? I mean, that. it seems that both of them, it's, it's, the issues are still the same, right? That... There's a presidential election pending, that uh, this is a, uh, a determinative question. Well, I think that the, the disqualification issue is riper for review. I mean, the, other, the issue of whether his immunity is ripe as well, but the election is underway. I mean, delegates are being counted. Ballots are being printed. There's been rulings by... Two state, one state court, Supreme Court in Colorado, and a secretary of state in Maine. So the rulings are now in place and are are affecting and will affect in the in the coming months the election that is effectively underway that will be final in November. So I think the Supreme Court looked at that and said we need to clear the air one way or another. If he's disqualified, then we'll tell you how he's going to be disqualified. And if he isn't, then game on, and the election's going to go forward. So I think they looked at this and saw that it was critical to our democracy to have a decision on this very live issue of uh, disqualification. This is Dan. Do you really think the Supreme Court could ever disqualify him? I mean, I I just don't believe... Maybe there's a legal um, uh, path to doing that, but I just can't see that politically. What do you think? Well, I think that there's a, there's a lot of different pieces to this. May I interrupt you for one second? Just in case any listeners saying, what's this disqualification all about? Could you talk a sure. little bit about that? So under the 14th Amendment to the uh, United States Constitution, which was passed just after the Civil War, people who engaged in insurrection were disqualified from seeking federal office or holding federal office. And the language of it is is really what the, the, this case is about. The, the, section, uh, the 14th Amendment says, Section 3, no person, no person shall be a senator, representative, or elector, or hold any office, civil or criminal, who engaged in an insurrection or rebellion against the United States. Well, prior to those words comes having taken an oath. So if, in fact, somebody took an oath, then voted to, it uh, took efforts to secede from the Union and lost, surrendered by Lee, and then came back and said, I want to be in Congress again. So that's why the 14th Amendment, Section 3, says, uh uh-uh, uh, you're disqualified. You already took an oath, promised to be loyal to our Constitution, violated that oath. No. So that's what's at play here is whether or not January 6th was an insurrection, whether or not Trump was complicit in causing it, right? Right. So there's issues, you know, does it apply to the office of the presidency because it's not specified? 
Uh, was it a, did he engage, whatever the word engage means? Was it an insurrection, whatever that word means? These are all issues they're going to have to parse and decide uh, in dis- determining whether he's disqualified under the 14th Amendment. Okay, Dan, so now John Pucci has set the table. What is your question? My question is, do you think that they will be able politically to disqualify him for that? I think the I think the answer is yes, um, and you know maybe I'm being a Pollyanna on this issue, but I think that there are people on the Supreme Court, including some of his own appointees, Gorsuch and um, uh, maybe Kavanaugh, and um, maybe some others maybe who Coney. maybe Coney Barrett, who really loathe Donald Trump. These people are whatever, they may have been Trump appointees, but they're not people without some degree of character, accomplishment, and patriotism. And I think they loathe him, and I think it infects any judge who loathes a, pro, a, a party in a process like this. It affects their, it creates a bias. They're not any better than us in setting aside their biases and making their decisions. So, I think there's plenty of room to interpret this statute and to say it specifically applies to Donald Trump. You could easily find them saying any office it applies, the 14th Amendment applies to anybody um, who's seeking to hold an office, civil or military, under the United States. It applies. Did he engage? There was the famous proceeding at the circle there where he, he urged time. people. Was it an well, insurrection? 700 people have been convicted of crimes relating to it. But what you said, most defense? of them pled guilty and admitted to it. What will be his defense there? I mean, I think what he would make his defense is, I didn't go there. He, he used the words, sort of inspired them to go out and, and protest as aggressively as possible, but he said, keep it peaceful. So he'll use his own words. There's these small clips, right? Will that be his defense? His, his defense is like the seven layers of it. I've read through the, what the defenses are. But the primary ones are that he didn't – the Constitution says the person has to have engaged. So he can say, I didn't go up to the Capitol. Well, he wanted to apparently. Well, he wanted to. You know, maybe I wanted to. Whatever. <laughs> you may have wanted Whatever. He didn't do that. Right. He didn't raise a weapon. He didn't throw a stone. He didn't in- personally engage – at a level that qualifies him for disqualification. He can say it wasn't an insurrection, remembering that the context for this is the Civil War, which was not just an insurrection but an open rebellion. Uh, And this is different. This was of a smaller nature. I don't think that goes anywhere because of the 700 convictions. But I think the engagement issue is a significant issue that they're going to push hard and say he did not go there. He did not have control over them. He did not communicate what they while they were engaged in this process themselves at the Capitol. But he and, did have control over the National Guard. He did nothing but watch TV while his Capitol was being invaded, while police officers were being hurt in uh, this, this horrible tumult, which he sat in front of a TV and and watched and did nothing when he had the power of the presidency. Well, and is that engagement? I, you know, there's the, hence the argument. He, you know, if he had gone, as I understand the testimony at the uh, congressional hearings on the insurrection, he was held back from going to the Capitol by the security detail. If he had gone there, 
who knows what would have happened. He may have been fully engaged, even under the 14th Amendment, uh, uh, triggering disqualification. But he did not do that for whatever reason. Um, And so there's an argument that he didn't get to the space, that whatever that word engaged means, he didn't get there. Um, And we'll see what happens. But I think that politically, I think there's people in the Supreme Court that are not in favor of him. I think they sit back and see, like perhaps we do, I do, that he's a danger. And they're not leaning in his direction. Uh, And there's plenty of room for them to make that ruling, disqualify him, take the heat. There's a lot of things will fall out of that decision, but it would be defining. There's no, there's no other appeal. It's the end of it. There's no further appeal. There's no en banc process. There's no further briefings. They render a decision. He's disqualified. That's the end of it. Carry on. That's not what Governor Abbott says. He doesn't think the Supreme Court is the end of the road. Well, John Pucci, as always, will you do me a favor? If you see a black robe, will you buy it for me? And I will go down there and help make this decision because... I'm ready. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And I'll join you. Thank you so much, John Pucci. We're going to be right back. We're going to be talking about, well, Northampton School Committee and some of the uh, challenges, let's say, that are facing our school committee members. We'll be right back. Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. 